Welcome to the podcast, a monthly podcast brought to you by Profitable Ideas Exchange. Your partner in strategic relationships and business development. We are your hosts, Aubrey Darden and TJ Dennis. Walt Schill is a seasoned operating executive and serves on the Pi board. He has proven expertise in developing new and innovative services, driving growth, and advising executives on strategy, operations, and organizational excellence. His career includes serving as partner for McKinsey, leading Accenture's global strategy practice, and most recently leading environmental resource management as the global commercial officer. He's a graduate of Virginia Tech, has an MBA from the University of Virginia's Darden School, and serves as a visiting professor of business at Emory University. Hi, Walt. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for being here today. Oh, my pleasure. I hope it's as interesting as you're hoping it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. So, Walt, before we dive in on some more business-specific questions, we always like to start with a little bit of an icebreaker question just to get to know our guests a little bit more on a personal level. So my question that I'm going to ask you today, we were just talking before we hit record about how everyone here at Pi is kind of foodies and athletes. So I'd love to know what your favorite strange food combination is, if you have one. Oh my gosh. Well, I tell you what immediately popped into mind. I was traveling last week uh, in Southwestern Virginia on a bike trip and it was a small cafe in this little town and I had the coolest sandwich. So it was called a hillbilly Reuben and it was barbecue and turnip greens and uh, mozzarella cheese on a toasted bun. And I was very (laughs) skeptical, but it was great. And uh, I grew up in the South. So I've always had this excitement for turnip greens or collard greens. And so that was, that one just comes to mind. I've never had it before. I've never even seen it before, but it was actually pretty good. So all right. Yeah. If you told me that combination was good, I would simply not believe you. Yeah. No, I, I took a, I took a big dive and it was, uh, it was pretty good. I, Ruben's are always interesting, but this was a little different. So anyway, complete with the rye bread and everything. It was interesting. Yeah. Very. Okay. Um, well, tell us about your background, Walt. I mean, obviously we know, but maybe not everybody knows that you sit on Pi's board. Um, how did you get to that point, you know, in, in your career where you're on the board of of Profitable Ideas Exchange, and then what else are you doing these days as well? Uh, sure. Yeah, I ask myself the same thing. What am I doing these days? <laughs> um, so short version of uh, my career, you know, I started out life as a mechanical engineer and uh, was uh, in a factory in Tennessee and, and was quite interested. Uh, uh, how would I say? I got, I got interested in Japan because there was a new factory being built by Nissan not far away. The factory I was working in was built in the 40s for World War II. So it was a big gap and that inspired me. And then uh, I decided to go to business school and there I ended up getting a joint degree and going to Japan, first time outside the United States. And that sort of triggered this lifelong interest in Japan. Uh, After business school, I went to work for McKinsey uh, in Cleveland. Not everybody has to go to Cleveland first, but I ended up going to Cleveland and I (laughs) love the city. There are a lot of jokes about Cleveland. It's a fantastic place. And then I moved to Tokyo uh, my first son had just been born. We moved to Tokyo 
and it was for uh, a year or two, and it turned out to be almost eight years that, that we were there. My second son was born there. We adopted our daughter there, uh, and I did a lot of mergers and acquisitions and those types of things. Moved back uh, to Washington, D.C. That's where my family's, uh, my wife's family's from. Uh, and then I uh, worked for McKinsey for a couple of years and then joined a startup that was incredibly successful until we went bankrupt, uh, which I, I advise everyone to go through one bankruptcy because you learn a lot in a bankruptcy. Sure. Uh, I wasn't the founder of the startup, but I was in pretty early and uh, learned so much from that. Uh, I, I could share so many stories, but I felt like that's where I really got an education. It's almost as if I went from the high priesthood of McKinsey to uh, brawling in the streets. It was a big eye opener. Uh, <laughs> and then I joined Accenture and I was there for eight years uh, running the management consulting and strategy practice. And that's where I met Pi. Uh, I was a client of Pi when uh, they, uh, Pi stood up the COO network that was very successful. And that's how I got to know Jacob and parts of the team. Uh, and then I left there a little over eight years ago because of an interest in uh, the environmental side and climate change sustainability. So I joined a company called ERM and I was there until last summer. Uh, and we ended up selling the company and I decided I was ready to do something different. Uh, and about a week after that, I think Tom or, or uh, Jake had called and said, what are you doing? And so that's how it started. And I've always admired, uh, I helped with the books just a little bit and I've just admired Pi and what you guys do. So that's sort of how it ended up. I love that. That's such a cool, such a cool story. Very roundabout way. Yeah, you were really all over the place. <laughs> all over the place. I People ask me, you know, what was your plan? And there clearly there wasn't one. It was just sort of trying <laughs> things along the way. And I would say most of the time it was curiosity following a passion or an interest that really drove it. Um, and so I think, you know, the, the, the themes in all of those were almost always I was in some situation where I was driving change. And I think that's when I'm happiest is when I'm, I'm going through that change. There's a wonderful Japanese expression that says I get seasick on calm water. And, and I think I fit that description that it needs to be something that's, that's dynamic or changing. Yeah, clearly the bankruptcy scenario elaborates that yeah. <laughs> you need a little bit of change in craziness to feel good about what you're doing. Yes, yes, yes. But I, I think that the bankruptcy just sort of brings the, and the startup, I think, experience just brought such uh, an intensity and reality of what's happening. Like, you know, in business school, you learn about, you know, cash flow and discounted cash flow and all that means. I learned that cash flow actually means can you pay payroll on Friday? And that's a pretty terrifying feeling of, okay, can we make payroll or not? So things become quite real. Uh, it was very intense and I'm glad I did it. I wouldn't do it again. Yeah. It, was, it, was, it was intense. <laughs> it sounds intense. And it sounds too like your curiosity really took you to your career kind of ran the gamut, right? You, you went to the big companies, you went to a McKinsey, to an Accenture, but you also went to startups and got to see some be really successful and some go through bankruptcy, which I think is such a cool way to learn about the business world. Yeah. And I, I do think that there is a benefit of, uh, I joke about everybody should go through a bankruptcy, but I think working in a small company is so different than a really big company. You do learn different things and you see a different side of business. And so I think seeing those different perspectives 
is really valuable. And I think I became a much better consultant and served my clients much better after the startup. I had a much greater appreciation for operations and what it takes really to run a business. It was uh, a real eye-opening experience. I probably learned as much in startup as I did in three years of business school. Sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, to, to pivot a little bit, you recently came to Pi and you did a session with our consulting team on the power of storytelling. Mm. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about the benefit of storytelling and what purpose you've seen it serve as you've navigated your career over the years. Yeah, it's a good question. And I think it evolved over time, but I'm, I'm at heart, I'm an analytic. I love data. And, and I can just, I'm, if I have a really complex spreadsheet, I can have a wonderful Friday evening. I'm, not, I'm really a nerd for data. <laughs> but what I learned over time was that data and facts, and that's what from the McKinsey experience, you really are uh, trained to, to go with the facts, go with the data, and that's how you convince people. Uh, but it turns out that's not the case. It's an important part of it. But I found that if you really want to change people and you want to help them see something different, you really have to approach it with the data. You can never avoid that. But you need stories to go along with it. And, and I learned over time, I would labor over all of this data. And you could see people are sort of wallowing through. But when I started telling a story about their client, their customers, or about a dealer in the backwoods of, of Tennessee, or describing one of their customers, and I remember one project around um, uh, vets and some vets in Tennessee describing that to the clients. They came alive. And I think over time, I discovered both with clients and internally with teams I was leading, stories seem to resonate and people hear them and they can't resist them. And over time, I started telling more stories. And then eventually I was asked, a colleague asked me to start teaching a class at Emory. And that made, I had to think about it a little bit more then. Of, okay, what is this all about? And I think since studying and teaching the class, I've learned even more about, okay, how do you really make stories work and, how, and when and how to use them? So that's sort of how it came about. And do the stories need to be big and elaborate and, and long and thought out, or can they be short stories? I mean, here's an example that's just coming to the top of my head, right? As if you looked at email open rates and you saw a big spike at 9 a.m. and a big spike at noon, it might be that people just might be having lunch and catching up on emails. Like that's a small story, but then you could make some big elaborate. Does it have to be one or the other? No, I, I think that, that some of the most impactful stories are just very small pieces um, uh, what is it? The haiku, the Japanese haiku. Sure. Yeah. They're five, stories. Seven, yeah. They're stories. They're really tiny stories. Right. And so I think that you can, some cases, I think one of the issues or mistakes that people make, I make is make them too long and too elaborate. In many cases, less is more, you know, some of the movies that don't lay out everything and you have to fill in the details actually are better because your brain is fully engaged. So I think they can be long or they can be very short. They can be very serious or sad, right? They can, they can be uh, compelling you to do something or it could be just for pure entertainment. So I think there's a wide range that you, you can use them. But it, I think in some cases, they can be overtold. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Where If you were someone who maybe feels like their storytelling ability needs a little bit of improvement, where would you have them start in terms of becoming even just an okay storyteller or, or thinking about how to use storytelling in business specifically. Yeah. I, so I think um, it, it almost helps not to do the business stories. I think everybody has a personal story 
And I've been amazed that people would struggle to do a business thing. But when you ask them uh, an experience with their grandparents or a point in their uh, life when they've been really scared or something like that, I find people, almost everyone can tell a story when they get excited about a topic. And so I think practicing those stories and then being able to translate those over, those skills is a way to do it. And to be honest, it's like many things. The best way to tell good stories is you practice. And there's the, you know, this expression of you never give a good speech once. I think the stories always get better. And I think that you, know, you build up a small portfolio of things that, you know, when, when you use certain stories or not use others. And, and, it, and I think now in my brain, I've just built this inventory of stories about, okay, when do we, how do you encourage people or how do you get people to focus or how do you take tension out of a room? You know, you build those. And so I think it's just a matter of practice and then recognizing that, that you have something to say that way. And, and I would say with clients, uh, if you start talking about their customers or their organization or experience you've had, they will always listen. I found that to be so powerful. Say, this is what we're hearing from your clients. They will always listen. Mm. I think that that practicing part is is interesting because you hear like comedians will try something for years before they'll ever take it on the road. Or, you know, I can only imagine what it's like to be a public speaker and recite it every single day until you know it in the back of your head. But I think that practice fits how you deliver to certain people, right? Telling it to yes. your friends at cocktail hour is very different than how you'd present it to a client. And so do, getting reps and learning yes. the timing and the, and the 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 beef of the story is so important there. Yes, and and you can get different versions, right? You have the long version or the short version. You, know, you can use the same story for different parts. I think it is getting the reps and watching how people respond. And we all hate to hear our own voice. I, I don't think there there maybe there's someone out there who likes hearing your voice. But I will tell you, listening to yourself tell stories is very powerful as well. Uh, and then the last thing I'd say is. Listen to other people tell stories. Uh, there's a comedian, uh, he's long since passed away. His name's Jerry Clower. And uh, he was from the South. He's sort of the Jeff Foxworthy of my dad's generation. The funniest stories, but I listen to his stories over on how he tells them and how he delivers them. And I've listened to him over and over and over. And I, I've got a lot from that. So that's just another way as you listen to other people tell them. Absolutely. Yeah, doing that storytelling session that you came and did with our team here at Pi was so fun and so interesting because we tell stories without even realizing we're telling them, right? Yes. And so that class really brought it to my attention and made me think about what are the stories that I tell and what are some of the most important stories to me and how can I practice them more or make them more relevant to different a different purpose, a different message that I want to send to the people I'm telling right. it to. Right. And it's, it's the only, the biggest mistake is either making them too long or sometimes it's the wrong story for the wrong time. <laughs> and you go, okay, well, that was a little bit odd. You can always feel that. But I think with a bit of practice, you, you begin to know, okay, how will this fit? How will it lands? Right. And then another very powerful thing is to ask other people to tell stories. So I, I now enjoy asking people telling you know, to, to tell their stories about either a childhood or experience or an experience at work or those kinds of things. Because it's interesting to see how people relate what they've done. And it's almost always a great surprise. I've asked people, what's your most embarrassing professional moment? 
you will always get great stories, right? So <laughs> it's it's a, a good one to do. So yeah, I love that. So on the subject of asking people to tell stories, do you have any funny stories that you like to tell, whether from your professional career or just your life in general? We would love for you to tell us one. Sure. Well, there, there's one, my most embarrassing professional moment, uh, and I, I still wake up uh, with a dream of this happening. But what happened was I was in Japan serving a client, a pharma client that I'd worked with quite a bit for over a year. And so I was in and out of the building quite a bit. I knew a lot of folks uh, and I was late to a meeting and, and particularly in Japan, you don't want to be late to meetings. And there were a lot of people and they couldn't start without me. So I was five minutes late and I was rushing. So I got into the building, took the elevator, went in, walked into the conference room, apologized to everyone, handed out the book you know, that we were going to review. And I go, start going through it and about, and no one says anything, right? And 15 minutes into it, one person raises a hand and says, well, what, what meeting are, are you supposed to be attending? Because this isn't the meeting we had. I walked into the wrong meeting and for 15 <laughs> minutes presented, but they just let me go because they were being polite. <laughs> that feeling of you've got to be kidding me which meant there was another group of people still waiting in another place, trying to figure out what the heck was going on. So for, for at least a year, I would walk into a meeting and people would ask me, are, are you in the right meeting? Do you know if you're in the right place? <laughs> it was very embarrassing. I, I think the related one was, I just remembered this recently, uh, in, it was my senior year in college and there was a class on a Friday afternoon in the summer, in the spring, and it was hot and who knows, but I'd been up late the night before and I was sitting in the back of the room and I fell asleep. But when I woke up, there was a different class in the room. And they had very carefully evacuated and everyone else came in. So those two things, I have this recurring dreams of both of those happening to me again. <laughs> well, and it's, I'm sure it was a great icebreaker with the, with the business scenario because they were like, you know what, at least we have something to... Uh, cut the tension before we have to jump into this meeting where we talk about finance for the next hour. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they would tease all the time. About it. And I, I think everyone's had one of those. Thank goodness. It was a client that I knew well, that would have been really embarrassing if it hadn't, but I just, there are times where I think, okay, is someone letting me just go when I'm in the wrong meeting? It's uh, probably happened anyway. That that's just the one that popped in my mind of oh. um, feeling silly and, you know, and a good lesson about, just stopping, right? That's you're, if you're in a rush and in a hurry and you keep going, that, that's, uh, I think that it's a good example of what's happened. I've had a lot of examples where if you rush too fast into something, right, you end up in the wrong place. A hundred percent. Good analogy for life right there. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, well, Walt, I appreciate you taking the time. We appreciate you taking the time to, to meet with us today um, and be a part of the podcast. We might reserve the uh, right to give you a call again, um, bring you on in the future. Maybe we do this uh, as a, on a biannual cadence and catch up about what new things you're bringing to the consultants at Pi and then also the direction we're heading um, as, as one of our board members. Might be really great to keep in touch. I'd be happy to do that. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Walt. Thank you for listening to the podcast brought to you by Profitable Ideas Exchange. If you enjoyed the content in this month's discussion, 
Please visit our blog at ProfitableIdeas.com or check out our books, Never Say Sell and How Clients Buy. Profitable Ideas Exchange, connecting powerful minds and making the world smarter and smaller.